everyone, welcome back to Staying Connected. Before I let you listen to this episode, I just wanted to describe where you're going to find certain parts of the episode. So this is a special episode with my mom that we recorded together. And the beginning of the episode really talks more about the medical mystery when I was growing up, when I was little, through teenage years, and some about in college. And then the second half of the episode is very much more how did we deal with this emotional aspect of diagnosis and how have we coped with it as a mother and daughter. So I hope you enjoy this special episode and now I will let you listen to it. Hey everyone, welcome back to Staying Connected. This is Katie, your host, and today I have a special guest with me, my mother, and she is going to tell us about her experience with me as a child not knowing that I had vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And I think it's going to be good for me too because there are bits and pieces of my childhood that still don't make sense to me because I only remember certain pieces. So um, go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, thank you, Katie, for having me. Um, My name is Joy, and I've been your mom now your entire (laughs) life. (laughs) It's so nice to meet you. Yes. (laughs) So um, anybody who has met my mom at a conference or anything knows that she is an absolute pleasure to be around. One could say a joy. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So I have, everybody on this show, I think, who listens to this show knows that I have VEDS or vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. But you do not have VEDS and nobody else in the family that we know of has VEDS. So what was it like? I want to take you back to the beginning. I was your first child. Right. So what was the pregnancy like? So um, at the time, I was, you were planned, and I was so excited. Um, I think everything felt pretty normal. Um, the, you know, up until, you know, my water broke early. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, now I look back and the one thing I craved and I ate all the time was oranges, which is odd. I don't think most pregnant women want to have oranges, but (laughs) I I think I ate like two, I feel like I ate two or three oranges a day, which in retrospect now I kind of get it. But um, yeah, so pregnancy was normal. And then um, when I was, when you were like, well, I was about 35 and a half weeks um, pregnant. Um, I, I was painting your nursery, mm-hmm. climbing up on the ladder, painting the walls, and finished that up. And then the next morning I woke up and I, I thought I had peed in my pants, basically. But um, my water had broke. And so I went to the hospital and I did not deliver you for like three more days. So you were about you know, right at 36 weeks mm-hmm. when I delivered you. And then the only thing there that was unusual is you had um, yell- jaundice. Oh, you that. had jaundice. So, you know, they put you under the lights and they kept you with me and nursed you. And so and that, and that was, was it. That was it. And I always thought that I had you early because... I painted your nursery for 28 years. That was my belief that I had made that mistake. Should not have climbed the ladder, should not have, you know, used any paint. But 
Now but I now know. we know with vets, it's it seems like everybody is born a little early, or a lot of people are born a little early. I one of my first memories as a child is um, trying to open my eye underneath this bandage that was over it in like pre-K or something. I think that's one of my earliest memories because I had an eye surgery. Right. Well, and you had to wear a prism for a while, too, to try to build up the strength. So I think early on, we figured out that you were complicated because a lot of things kept happening. And nothing that was so unusual outside of like a normal, you know, like you had a lot of ear infections, so you had to have ear tubes. Mm -hmm. um, but your, your eyes at like two years old, you had you know, really thick glasses and your eyes were not going in the right direction. And mm -hmm. so you had, you've had three surgeries to correct your, sure the muscles in your eyes uh, over your, over your childhood. You had three. Okay. And the first one was like at two years old, but you had to wear a prism to try to build up. So like over your glasses was this oh. film also. Yes. And it was like this ridge <laughs> thing. And it was meant so that you could try to build up the muscles in your eyes. So you probably remember that. Okay. Too. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about the ear infections. Because I remember, I mean, even now, only a couple months ago, I ruptured two eardrums. Right. And now I want you to go get ear tubes. I, <laughs> but I, you're, you're now an adult and I can't tell you what to do. That's, that's an adjustment for me. But, um, yeah, I mean, you had them twice when you were young as a toddler and you were put under anesthesia okay. and they didn't take out your tonsils and adenoids at that time. They just kept putting in the ear tubes. And then I want to say you're about seven or eight years old and I took you to the, you know, you had another infection, your eardrum had perforated. I'm like, please let's do something that I don't want you to suffer. Um, and they recommended that you do another, you know, ear tube. And I said, well, I don't want her to be under anesthesia anymore you know, then she has to be, can't we just like, why do we have to take her through that whole process of the anesthesia? Why can't And the doctor's like, well, does she stay still? I'm like, she's an exceptional patient. <laughs> so he had you lay down in the office and he gave you a drop in your ear, which was it's hurt fun. you a lot, but then it numbed you. And then he slipped the ear tube in and then we were out the door and it was over. It was, it was great. So so how rapidly would the ear infections develop? Like, were those fast? Oh, all the time. I mean, you had them recurring all the time. And for a one, for for two years, you were on like prophylactic antibiotics because the moment you'd go off antibiotics, you would get another oh ear God. infection. And I remember like, for anybody listening, like whenever my eardrums perforated, I just remember like screaming in pain. Oh. Until the moment that it would actually perforate. And then it was just like a wave of relief because well, it was no longer. Well, pressure. I'll never forget the first time that happened. You were sitting in my room mm -hmm. and you were rocking back and forth in a lot of pain. And all of a sudden you looked up and you go, oh, my gosh, I feel so much better. And I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. And then I looked and blood was coming out of your ears and... It just blew my mind. I, I don't even know what to say. I didn't even really understand what that was at yeah. the time. I mean, it went until I took you to the doctor, and I well, I immediately called. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was 
and that was still that's still the same reaction I have when they perforate now. It's like that screaming, like I'm rocking back and forth and, and like so much pain. And then I my ears start bleeding. I'm like it's just like oh I feel so much better. Right. Yeah. So, what else was odd? Your gastro problems. I mean, you had, I would say, six, seven, eight years old. You started, you know, like, just vomiting. And I think you had, well, we, you know, you had acid reflux. So it caused you a lot of heartburn and pain, which Mm -hmm. caused the nausea, which caused the vomiting. So, um... I took you to the gastroenterologist, the pediatric gastroenterologist, and mm-hmm. she did um, the test, the barium swallow test to see how everything went. Walked away with a lot of recommendations like, you know, lift your bed up, you know, an inch or two on one yeah. side. Eat first thing when you get up in the morning. Um, but, you know, it, it felt like all through this period... I would find we would find something and we would knock it out like a whack a ball. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt like I was playing because the other thing that happened when you were three ish, two, three ish year old, year old is that you were not your normal height or weight. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of tests there, you know, like are you eating enough, etc. And then they did testing and you were deficient in your growth hormone. Mm-hmm. So you went on growth hormone, which like the first year that you were on growth hormone, I think you grew five inches and I'm oh, not kidding wow. it was significant you were yeah. you, you were never you know the tallest person in the class but you were at least in the 10th percentile you were at least on the chart which okay. was fabulous because you were not even near and your brother was you know when you got to a certain age like they all thought you were twins even though <laughs> you were older than him so yeah, there's some pretty cute pictures of us that were yeah, pretty you, similar. You guys size. were famous. <laughs> famous. Yeah. So there's the growth hormone thing and then all the stomach problems. Did the barium test ever show anything, like, concrete? Nope. No. Mm-hmm. So they just, like, basically we don't really know, but these things might help? Correct. Okay. From what I remember, because it wasn't like, it wasn't anything I could fix in a surgery or anything like that. It was just, this is, she just has, you know, heartburn and, you know, it could be that you had like a slow swallowing situation, you know, where like like the acid would want to come back up, which is why they wanted you to be not sleeping, laying down, Mm -hmm. but nothing earth shattering. Okay. See, I always thought that at that time I was diagnosed with like gastrointestinal reflux disease or whatever it is yeah GERD and I thought that that was like just the answer but now that I'm like an adult and I still have some of these problems I'm like well maybe that was never an answer and that's just another symptom of the bigger thing that's going on in there and it's very it's been very much like so many mysteries I felt like when I was growing up that didn't have answers so like how did that make you feel as a parent when you were when I was younger. I was really frustrated. Um, but at that time, I had a lot of faith in the doctors that I took you to. And I took you to many, many doctors. You know, like one specialist after another. Because again, okay, you have this situation. I'm going to take you to the specialist. You have this situation. I'm going to take you to the specialist. It wasn't like someone just said, well, wait, you, you've got all of these problems. Let me put them all together and see if something fits. 
Because yeah. I remember when we took it in, a, you know, we kept taking it to the pediatric endocrinologist. For the growth hormone? For, right. For every three months or so, we'd get your blood tested and you mm-hmm. make it, okay, so... And I remember showing the doctor your hands and saying, this is unusual, and, oh, she's just dainty, you know. And that was because my hands looked, like, bony or older. Right. Right. You you had very narrow um, fingers, Mm -hmm. um, and you had started to become self-conscious of them, and that's why I mentioned it to the doctor, too. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I just, like... I look back now, of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and it should have been something very, dip, you know, a very different outcome than what mm-hmm. we experienced. And so when I was a kid, I remember around that time, like, I remember my bone age being, it felt to me like my bone, like my hands were scanned all the time, but that's just probably because those are the only pieces that I remember of the bigger picture. You, I think you only had a bone age one or two times. And okay. that was at the end of your growth hormone. It wasn't like they did, it did a bone all age the all the time. Okay. So the hands though, I definitely remember when I was a kid being self-conscious about because I think sometime in early elementary school, like I had a teacher that I felt like didn't like me. And I remember telling one of my friends that I thought it was because of the way my hands looked. And I thought that the teacher didn't like me because of the way that my hands looked. And they looked just much older than a normal kid's hand. Like, none of my friend's hands looked like my hands. And, like, you can't hide your... And you can't hide your hands in Florida, either. Like, <laughs> like there's no reason to wear gloves. No, we could have moved to Alaska. We could have moved to Alaska. I could have been very right. happy with gloves all the time. Right. And I would never see my hands. <laughs> but, um... I also remember something in elementary school, and I don't remember if this is, like, a, a solid memory or not. Like, there's so many little things when you're young that you're like, what was the actual story here? So, I remember um, getting in trouble in kindergarten for hitting the bell on the teacher's desk because one of the kids that was, like, a troublemaker was like, oh, yeah, just hit the bell. She won't mind or something like that. And I was new to the class in my in this memory. Mm-hmm. And I did, and she was mad at me, and she just, like, she probably lightly grabbed my wrist or something to, like, bring me somewhere else. But I remember having bruises from that. Do you remember that? No, but I remember bruising a lot. Like, you you would be bruised a lot, but I don't mm-hmm. remember that particular memory. Okay. Um, um, that, the bruising thing, I, you know, you, you know... I take you to the doctors, you have bruises, and you're like, oh, every kid bruises. I feel like my faith in doctors has been somewhat shattered. Yeah. Because you just, every little thing that we now know is related to VEDS was dismissed as, you know, I, I and plus it was, I'm trying to think of how long ago that was, it, yeah. you know. That we didn't have a situation where I could just go Google something. Right. Like we can't. The internet wasn't there yet. Right. In the capacity that is that it is now. Right. So. Or even ten years ago. I mean, I think you started googling. Oh yeah. A lot. Because I mean, when I would go to a doctor and they would tell me, "Oh yeah, you have scleroderma. You got to go get tested." But we're like, we're sure this is scleroderma. Never seen a more clear case of scleroderma. Like I'm going to bring my medical student in here so I could show him what scleroderma looks like, and it's a cardiologist. 
So I'm like, well, this is scleroderma. And I had full faith in the medical system right. too. So I'd be like, okay, you know, this is what this is. And I would go and I had Google. So I would research what scleroderma was. And I was like a science student in, right. in school. So I knew how to do research in a way that I was like finding good websites and not bad ones. But I had such faith in them that I was like, well, I mean, this they must be right. You know, somebody finally figured it out. Because there were so many little things in my life that didn't make sense that whenever a doctor would very clearly tell me, like, we, this is what you have. you got to go get tested to confirm it, but this is, mm-hmm. this is it. I would take it at full, full faith. Somebody finally figured it out, you know, and then it wouldn't be that. And so there were a lot of those moments. So even with the elastosis perforans or bigenosa, which was that, like, Oh, I thought you had ringworm. Oh, yeah. And, like, a year and a half later, I still have ringworm, and it's not gone. And I had tried, like, everything on my own willpower to try to get it to go away. So I go to this dermatologist, and, like, they do a biopsy. And, like, while they're waiting for the biopsy results, I'm, like, going through old pictures. And I find this picture seven years ago of me playing with an armadillo and I'm like armadillos carry leprosy yeah so I go to the rheumatologist of course where I had been you know under evaluation for scleroderma because that dermatologist thought it might have scleroderma or something systemic Mm -hmm. and I say well is there any chance it could be leprosy because I found this picture of me with an armadillo the latency period is like 5 to 15 years or something like that it's right in the right range you know, it's a weird skin thing. He's like, oh, my God, yeah, we should test you for leprosy. So I'm like, oh, I figured it out. It's yep. leprosy, you know, and then it wasn't. Just a lot of false starts. Yeah, it was. It was a, a lot. lot of false starts. Yes. And none of it was related to the actual thing. It was all, it's like, autoimmune. It's like you're trying to figure out the one thing. Right. I'm like, oh, I'm going to figure out this thing on my arm, and it's going to explain everything, but... That's not really a thing. Or, like, if we had figured out the stomach thing, it would have been a small piece of a bigger thing. Right. Or that, like, there's so many of those there. So one of the things that I've, like, recently come to terms with is the amount of scarring on my body compared to somebody else. So I know a lot of those happened when I was a kid. What was that like? Okay. Well, when you were younger, it was great because you listened... You listened more <laughs> because, you know, you'd hurt yourself. I mean, the very first thing that happened, I, you were just a little over a year old. Mm-hmm. You had fallen at your great-grandmother's house. And, you know, we immediately, you hit your head. We immediately took you to the emergency room. And then the plastic surgeon was able to, like, stitch you up. Mm-hmm. Cause it was a pretty deep gash on your forehead. But there were a lot of those things in your childhood. But the older you got, I think you just got tired of things happening, right? Mm-hmm. You'd like, so I remember one time you just, you kind of like walked by a couch and you nicked the edge of the couch and your knee was bleeding. <laughs> I knew you needed stitches. And you know, I'm like, let's take you. No, um, no, I don't want to go to stitches. And this was like an hour long. I want to say you were at this point like. It was nine. Yeah, but you were pretty. You were you were like a thirteen year old nine. You were not like you're. You were. You were a force even back then. You were a very strong person, and I'm like, oh, okay. So we just kind of like bandaged it up, and I think mm-hmm. you have a scar, but I have a nice. Big I think scar. you feel. I recently went to a concert, and I love this quote. The quote was. 
a scar isn't where you were injured. It's where you healed. And oh, I'm like, I love oh, that. I love that. I love that. I've never heard that. Yeah. I've always thought of scars as um, just like signs of being a badass. You know, like, I don't know yeah, what. You, it, yeah, right. I was like very proud of my you scars. You were, and that, and this is when you were nine. This is exactly the way you were. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Oh, my God. Scars are my cool. life. Yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at it within a different lens now. So, what lens do you look at it in now? Now, I look at it where you where you healed. Because I think it's, you know, for someone to have a connect, connective tissue disorder mm-hmm. and has uh, many times that you have healed, it's pretty remarkable. So, I look at That's sweet. So, let's fast forward then. I text you one day and I tell you, I think I figured it out. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, I think it's it's vascular EDS. So that that like, time is a blur for me. So, <laughs> and I'm looking at this text. And I'm like, what is this? And I, I try to, you know, I try to put it in the realm of. First of all, I didn't. Of course, I went and googled it later. Yeah. Because I was at work. You know. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want you to have it. Right. So, any mother that doesn't want their kid to have that is just going to say. That you don't have that, <laughs> but there were a lot of times that you, you know, between between you and the doctors, you're like, okay, we think that we know what this is now, and then the test would come back and it would be negative. Yeah. So there were a lot of those that I had in the back of my mind. So when I saw this, the next item, you know, the vets, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm an average person. I mean, everything in my life is average. Average height, average weight, average intelligence. Average, everything is average about me that I'm like, how can I have a child that is that, you know, that has something so rare? I just couldn't even imagine it. And then, of course, it came back positive, And then I was in complete denial. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I was completely stunned. Yeah. And I was 28 at the time that the test result came right. back. And I remember you being upset that you didn't have it. Right. Well, because that was, that was as soon as I found out that you had it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get tested. Okay. So I did. And I really wanted to so that you weren't by yourself. Yeah. Or we had a logical reason why this is happening. Yeah. And then I, when, I, when I came back negative, I was sad because you were I felt like you were alone and I didn't want you to be alone Mm -hmm. and I remember like sitting at my doctor's office just like crying like which I don't tell you all that stuff oh I knew it was happening I knew it had to be happening but there was nothing I could do there's just nothing there's I don't think there's anything that can make a parent feel better immediately about that right well first of all it's not your job to make me feel better no you know what I'm saying (laughs) so but for me it was like I I had my moments very separately from you because I did not you know going through that whole process Mm -hmm. it was something I was you know here my kid is 20 years old I took to all these doctors when she was growing up and dealing with every complication that came about and then finding out, you know, initially I was like, I missed it. You know, like that, I felt like I had missed it. So it was just a range of emotions that I went through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were the inspiration for me getting 
like pushing that hard to finally figure it out. Do you know that? No, I did not know that. <laughs> so there was a conversation because about for about a year prior to this point, I was having like I had that onset of spontaneous neck pain, neck pain which was completely awful. And then it recurred like three or four times. And we didn't know what it was. And I was in a pain management clinic. And they were going to be like doing, making sure I didn't have a compression of an artery or something. But there was a point when it happened and I called you. And I had come back, I think, from the orthopedic like rapid care clinic. Because it had happened again. And I was like, there has to be an explanation. And I go, and they're like, we've already scanned you. There's nothing we can do for you. There's nothing wrong in there. And I called you, and I was crying. And I was like, nobody believes me that there's something wrong. Like, the feeling was like, maybe I, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm a hypochondriac. Maybe there's nothing wrong. Maybe it's all in my head. And you said, Katie, if you think something's wrong, don't give up find the answer and you just have to keep being your own advocate and I was at the point where like I had been my own advocate I think for so long that I didn't want to anymore I was like well maybe there's nothing wrong it's exhausting it's exhaust. it's so exhausting especially when there's no answers mm-hmm. too and when you said that to me I was like okay like I'm not gonna give up and it wasn't that long after that that I figured it out and then spent several months trying to get somebody to test me. Mm-hmm. But, that, I mean, that was ultimately the inspiration for me figuring it out. Thank you. I, I, I think back to how persistent you were. I mean, you were always such a strong-willed person, like from, from birth. And... I just think if you had not been as strong-willed as you were and persistent and your own advocate, fiercely so, you, we, we could not be doing this podcast today. You know, like, I, we could still be, you know, you could still be going answers. through each of those things. And I just, I admire that so much about you. So for you to say thank you to me, I don't <laughs> feel like that's, I mean, I appreciate that, but you did it. You know, you alone did it, and it's a remarkable story. I always mm-hmm. tell people, like, you know, when I, my friends or something, it's, I said, it's like a podcast story. It's like listening to someone go through a whole thing about how they self-discovered, and mm-hmm. it's, she's just amazing, so. Thank you. So... You found out, and we went through, I remember going through this denial phase, and then it was like separate grieving. Correct. And then you started coming around. Mm-hmm. How did you get through that grief? Well, I, I, I like went off Facebook for a whole year. I, it was just a whole, I'm the type of person, I think when I go, go through something like well, that was a, the biggest thing I've ever gone through in my life. But, like, I just go inward. Mm-hmm. And I just knew I just had to deal with it. Um, I look back. I wish I would have not done that. But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I just had to... First thing I had to do was, like, get out of the denial mode. Like, okay, I cannot believe all those years. And this is what it was. 
And, you know, so I got out of the denial. Mm -hmm. And then it was, okay, well, it's my fault. You know, had I done this or this or this or this, we could have found out sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, and, and then also I was going through all, you know, and then, so anyway, fast forward to, all right, so... I think about a year a year later is when I started to really come yeah. out of it. And there were a lot of people in the vets community that inspired me. Because mm-hmm. I, I re- well, when it started to sink in was when I called the geneticist. And, you know, I asked some very candid, you know, just ask a lot of questions, cried on the phone. And then I think I went to my vet, first vets community event. Yeah. And I feel like that's when I started to come out of it. it I remember being very proud of you for wanting to come mm-hmm. and then coming. Well, there were so many other mothers there. Yeah. And some mothers that had lost their children. And I thought, I want to be like that. I don't want to be the person sitting in the corner, like, wondering what, what just happened. Yeah. I just wanted to be the mother that is supportive you know because you can wallow in it or you can do something about it and i just decided i wanted to do something about it so i forgave myself basically for how i had responded and uh, you know wish that i had done things differently and just decided i was going to do something different the way i don't know i feel like when you ask someone for forgiveness the best way to do it is just change the way that you're behaving Mm -hmm. so I just started changing how I was behaving you know like just because I really wanted to do it inside I just had to get myself motivated to do it yeah and I for the record I never thought that you needed forgiving that was just me I just knew that like you were going through the grieving process and that's I know that like from knowing you for 28 years at that point like that's how you grieve Mm-hmm. And so it was just kind of like, I'm just going to let her grieve. And I would try to do things to not make it worse. But it was hard because it was like, you're my best friend. And so I'm going to call you. And when I'm upset, I'm right. calling you. And I know it's not helping your situation. Right. Either. Well, and you would call me. <laughs> and then I would, I would just do the best I could. And I would hang up. And then I would just like yeah. have a breakdown and cry. And Yeah. It, it was, was it was a little cyclical. It was. It was hard. It, it really it was hard for both of us. But I am the mom. That like you should not think about comforting me at all. That is not in any way acceptable to me. It, it is a, it is a parent's responsibility to always comfort their child. So I you know thank you. For being as patient as you were (laughs) as I was going through that. Because then I, but the other thing that came out of it was you gravitated toward people and the community Mm -hmm. and you built a family. And then I was encircled in that family and it was healing. Yeah. So as a parent of an adult child with beds, what would be something if someone joined the group today and their child was just diagnosed with that? Is there anything that you would tell them from your experience? I would encourage them to get involved sooner rather than later. 
because it will help you heal and deal with the situation so much easier than when I was trying to deal with it all by myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like um, sometimes you, you, it's like ripping off the Band-Aid. Just get in it and you're going to feel so much better than just slowly dealing with it all by yourself. Because mm-hmm. there's so many wonderful people that will support you. Yeah, and there's so much knowledge out there that I think some of these people have that their regular physicians don't have, too, just from being in it all the time in the group. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you might oh. ask a question to your primary care doctor, like, oh, that's not a thing, but then you go to the, the Facebook group and somebody hands you this research paper that very clearly Correct. shows it's a thing. Right. <laughs> I mean, when even when I go to my doctors and I say, my daughter has this, you know, or something, they're like, oh, what is it? Yeah. And it's a constant, I feel like I'm more educated than there. And now like, I'm offering, okay, so now, you know, if you need someone to come speak to your physician group, I mean, I'm offering up services, you know, so yeah. trying to get the word out. Yeah, that's like the space that I live in, too. Right. Another thing that would be helpful for mm-hmm. other parents is when um, I, I went, you invited me to, to go see your doctors with you. Mm-hmm. That was a big event for me, mm-hmm. to be able to be in the room, to, to, to ask them questions, just to see your exam, to, so, and then, so, you know, they, were, they brought in students to show, and, you yeah. know, like, okay, this is a person has beds. It was... That was helpful because it it made it more real, and while it's rare, it made it, um, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. It yeah. wasn't. I know it's rare, but it brought it home. I guess. Yeah. Well, here's people who work with it all the time. Correct. It made it feel more common. Right. Because they specialized in it. Mm-hmm. So. That was comforting because you have people also out there, doctors that are specializing it and spending their own many many hours their own personal time yeah and those doctors were shireen and peter right um but there's other specialists out there too yeah, shane, like and shane yeah. morris mm-hmm. hal deeds mm-hmm. and then you've got melissa russo doing the pregnancy stuff yep. diane Melowitz studying it there's like there's a few people just kind of like scattered but i feel like it's growing but it's comforting and it's comforting because at the time you know you Okay, so this is where the mother part's going to come yeah. out. You get the diagnosis, and immediately I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, we're going to solve this. Not solve the diagnosis, but I don't want you to live by yourself. I don't want you to like... I mean, like oh, yeah, and I was like, no. <laughs> we talked about getting you a service animal. Mm-hmm. We got the echo so that you could call... You know, like All these things started happening, um, and... You know, I as an as an adult, a parent of an adult, I don't have a say. I can only, you know, give advice. Sometimes solicited, sometimes yeah. unsolicited, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, I guess sitting there in a room with doctors that specialize in this, it's it's validating that number one, the test was right, and number two, my kid is amazing because she is a personal advocate for herself. And these doctors really are going to take good care of her. Mm-hmm. And so for parents out there, I encourage you to get more involved for that reason. Because that was like, oh, okay. I'm not the only one looking after my kid. 
I think that's what it felt. Oh yeah, that's I what was, it was like. I that can was, see that. And then I go to the vets meetings. I was like, oh, there's other people. They also care about my kid, and they care about everyone's kids, and I care about all their kids. Yeah, and it's like this little community, and that part was I. I wasn't alone. That made me feel not alone. Yeah, I mean, it really has been awesome to me to see you, like, pick up the torch. Well, I feel like that's. It's a win-win. Yeah. I'm making myself feel better. I'm making, I feel like I'm supporting you and I'm supporting the community. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'm not nothing in comparison to some of the other mothers out there that I admire so much. I want to be like them when I grow up. So <laughs> I just, I have a long way to go, but I, you know, there's been people that have carried the torch and I, it's my turn and I want to. So. That's great. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for doing thank this. Thank you. Oh, wait. I have one more thing. Uh-huh. I think you're amazing in how you... I tell people at work this all the time. You've gotten a big bowl of lemons, and you're making the best lemonade because you are spending your life raising awareness, doing a podcast. You have a blog. I mean, you're just... The rest of your life will be about this, and you're on a mission, and it's it's... I've heard so many people have come up to me very, you know, on the side. Oh, Katie's amazing, and and I'm I'm super super proud. You have no idea. So thank you. I certainly did not expect that this is where my life was going to go. No, <laughs> no. I <laughs> thought for sure it. you were going to be an entomologist. Oh yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I really wanted to study bugs, but then I found out they had to kill them to do that, and I was like, no. <laughs> so I'll just take pictures of them all yeah. the time. And I'll be a scientist, but I'll also be a musician. And it was just kind of like this mess of like, maybe I'll be a triple major in, in these three things. And that was like, what am I doing? I should just get out of school. But now, like when I was diagnosed with this, like this is not where I expected my life to go. And I am really glad it did. Like in some ways, it, it gave my life so much more purpose. Right. I'm like, this is very clearly what I need to be doing with my life. And I don't think I would have had that same kind of passion with such certainty. Hopefully, like my hope is like one day, even after I'm gone, that if somebody is diagnosed, even as a a kid, they'll have all of these resources out there for them. Mm -hmm. And they won't feel alone because they'll they'll see somebody out there. It's amazing. It's really great that I'm able to do that. And I hope to for a very long time. Yes, me too. (laughs) No one hopes that more than me. (laughs) (laughs) So um, thank you everybody for listening. This is a special episode with my mom, Joy. And this is Staying Connected. In case you didn't know what you were listening to, this is what it is. And this is a monthly podcast where I talk to somebody affected by vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which I also have. So if you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it, share it with your friends, share it with your family. If, you know, maybe your friend is a medical student, they'll probably love it. So um, thank you, everybody, again, and we'll talk to you soon.